Thank you. How's everybody doing? Before I get into my message, I just want to share two quick words. One is corporately for our country, and one is for Miriam, actually. But I think the word for Miriam is not just for Miriam. So if you hear something in this, because the Lord wants to do this in all of us. Uh, but Miriam, during worship, I saw you. Look, Got to look it up here. And I saw the Lord put this... There was this ring, this engagement ring on your finger, and it was like diamonds all around it. And, um, you know, diamonds are only valuable, and anything's only valuable to the degree that it's either difficult to get to or, or there's not enough of it. And, you know, we're like diamonds in that the Lord mines for treasure in us, but it comes forth through pressure diamonds are formed under pressure and I saw the Lord put this engagement ring on your finger and I know the Lord's engaging you right now you're in a very special time when the Lord is meeting you in intimacy and he's really uh, you're you're in a season when the Lord's drawing near to kiss you it's the song of Solomon it's intimacy and so there's an engagement that's going on in your life right now but I, I saw um, you know how, of course, Miriam took the tambourine and started leading as they were being brought forth from deliverance from the, the Egyptian, the world. There was a worship that sprang out of her that led the whole nation. And I believe the Lord's releasing right now on you this worship that's coming from this deep intimacy, but it's coming specifically from this place of the Lord having delivered you from so much. And the scripture says, whom who is forgiven much loves much. There's a appreciation that God's worked in your heart and working in your heart for his grace to you and his mercy to you. And it's a lot like Mary Magdalene who gets set free from all this stuff, but her, her, her absolute worship of the Lord had to do with the deliverance that the Lord had done in her life that caused her to love him because Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. And what the Lord's doing in you is bringing forth the worship that the Father really seeks because you're seeing the goodness of the Lord in your own heart. And uh, I just felt like the Lord wanted to encourage you that you're really having an amazing time with the Lord and the, but it's going to increase, but it's out of this place of true appreciation, thanksgiving for what the Lord's doing in your heart is going to bring a worship that's going to lead the, the God's people. So anyway, I feel like all of us can take that to some degree, but I did feel like that was for Miriam. I saw Miriam specifically um, during worship. And um, so, okay. Um, this is not the message, but I just, this was so encouraging to me. I just thought I would share it. As I was going to bed last night, I was praying for a few people as I'm falling asleep in the midst of, you know, where you start praying, but your eyes start, you're, you're going out. I'm in bed, the lights are off, but I'm praying for some people and I'm just, but I'm also fading and I know it. And all of a sudden I see it as clear as a bell. I see this top hat turned upside down, sitting upside down around the, the rim of the hat, not the, not the brim, but the, the top part is the U.S. colors, the flag of the United States. 
red, white, and blue. It reminded me very much of the hat that Uncle Sam is depicted having in through the illustration, okay? And the hat was upside down, but I saw someone's hand go inside this hat and pull this rabbit out. And like, I'm not, I like, I'm, I'm really falling asleep. I'm praying for a few people personally. And then all of a sudden I see this and I knew instinctively the thing that stood out to me was the fact that the hat was upside down. And I feel like that's speaking of how right now in this country, things are upside down. You know, that which is good, they're saying is bad, and that which is bad, they're saying is good. You know, and the scripture says, woe to the nation that calls evil good and good evil. You know, and we're... All right. Um, so when this, when this hat was turned upside down, this is speaking of the condition of our church, but the, the, the rabbit being pulled out of the hat... I feel like it could have some other meaning to it, but I know for sure that this is speaking of a miraculous thing that's going to take place that's going to surprise everybody. If you know the phrase, pulling a rabbit out of the hat, that's a, that's a phrase that we use in English, so idiomatic expression for when things look like it's impossible and there is no hope, all of a sudden... I don't know how he did that. It's like he pulled a rabbit out of his hat. You know, it's a phrase. And the Lord is about to do something in this country that's going to shock us all. It may not happen, like when we say, see things like that, it may not happen like an instantaneous, like we're looking at it, but it may. It may be a suddenly. But one thing I know, there's a miraculous turnaround coming to our country. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. The Lord is doing so much. And if you have not yet seen the movie Sound of Freedom, you owe it to the people that suffered so much to make this movie, not, not to mention the story behind the movie. You need to go see this movie. It'll awaken you. It's like the stepping stone to, to really following the rabbit down the rabbit hole. Because there's some rabbit holes that we need to know about that's going on in the world. And much of us have our head in the sands and really can't handle some of the dark truths that really go on in the world. This world is much darker than the average person realizes. But the good news is that when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, we know that the glory of the Lord is rising upon His people and His glory is appearing in them and the nations will stream to their light. So it's time for us to shine because it is darker than the world's ever seen in many ways. It's spread out further. The tentacles of the evil is coming to every aspect of the world, and yet the light is arising and God will never be outdone by the devil. So I am excited. All right, it's not my message, but hopefully it encourages you. It encouraged me when I saw it. I knew what it pretty much knew what it meant as soon as I saw it. There may be some other things there that I, I don't want to dive into because I don't have certainty on it, but, uh, but I know there's a rabbit coming out of the hat that the Lord's going to do. It was the Lord's hand that went in there. So, all right. So I want to talk to us about overcoming sin. Okay, this is not the normal message that I talk, that I do. I felt like as all messages that I do, I'd never preach a message that I don't feel like the Lord specifically gave me for the moment for the place that I'm at and with the people that I'm talking to. I felt like the Lord showed me this this morning. Um, but I want to start, I'm going to talk about the problem on the front end, 
but I'm going to get to talk about the answer on the back end. But before I even do that, I'm going to tell you the answer up front, okay? The answer to every single problem in life, and I've preached this a thousand times, it feels like, at this church. The answer to every single problem in life or anything that we can go through in our Christian walk, the answer is seeing Him more clearly. It's by beholding Him, okay? I'm not going to say any more about that until the end. But that's the answer. But I'm going to dive into that in the end. I've done that before. But this is a message of grace. It really is. But I just want to explain grace a minute. Grace is not just God's mercy for us when we mess up, though that is certainly there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the grace of God is not the, just the ability to forgive us. It's the ability to deliver us from sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, He hung there because of sin. And it said that He... That in the, in, uh, the Scripture says that he, it, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Righteousness is important to the Lord. Sin put Jesus on the cross. He, God hates sin. God loves sinners. God hates sin. Okay? What we've gotten mixed up as a church is thinking because God's so good and merciful towards sinners that somehow He's okay with sin. He's not okay with sin. God is holy, righteous, and true. Sin was such an issue in Israel. He even said, look, I want you guys, talking to the children of Israel in the desert, when he brought his tabernacle and made his tabernacle in their midst, he said, I'm coming in your midst, but you better make sure that you use the bathroom outside of the camp because if there's any uncovered dung, I will strike out against you. Many times the Lord told Moses he would not come near the people because he would have to kill them if he did because he knew their heart was so rebellious and wicked. God's mercy for many times for his people is him not coming to his people because if he came to his people, there would be the way that we want him to, there would be a lot more Ananias and Sapphira's that would be happening in the church. It is a scary thing to get too comfortable with a holy God. Now, this is, listen, I got grace. I'm going to talk about grace. There's grace in this. I do not want this to be like a, a heavy, condemning message. The end result of what I have to say is a good thing. But sin is no thing to play with. It's what put Jesus on a tree. I don't want to do anything that's causing him pain. And he loves me. He wants to set me free from sin. Amen? There is a thing in the church, not the whole church, but there's a portion of the church that has embraced what I call sloppy agape. It's where God's love is so good that you're okay to just to keep living however the world does. Oh, he's got grace for me. It don't matter that I'm sleeping around with this guy or girl or that I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. You are saved by grace, but the grace is the ability to set you free from sin. Now, I'm going to talk about this a minute, and then I'm going to talk about the answer because the, the, the answer to this is not focusing on the sin, okay? But we got to look at it at first. 
the law, Paul says, is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law says the soul that sins shall die. That puts us all in a bad place. But the law, Paul says, was a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The purpose of the law is to convict every single one of us of being a wicked, rotten, lousy, wretched sinner that stinks. <laughs> the Bible says our righteousness is as a filthy rag. You look that up in the Hebrew, it's actually a menstrual cloth. Yeah, it's nasty. That's a nasty thought, but that's, that's the Bible. A lot of stuff in the Bible people don't even want to deal with. But that's what it says. Our righteousness is as a, menst a menstrual rag back in those days. Okay? All right. We're dirty. The law is to convict us that we're dirty and we need a Savior. Paul said in Romans 7, the things I wish to do, I do not do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Who can say, and he goes on through, he says, who can save me from this wretched man that I am? Thank God to the Lord Jesus Christ. His end result that there was no way for him to get free except for Jesus. But he was to get free. And so, real quick, I just want to look at the first two sins. Um, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. We're going to go to, uh, I'm going to look first at Genesis 3.16. And when we know that when Satan came to Adam and Eve, he tempted them. And I want to look at the one verse where he tempted them. Um, Satan's talking to them in chapter 3 and uh, trying to get Eve to begin to doubt what God had said. He's challenging what God says. That's what Satan always does. And, and here's what Eve came to in uh, Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you know, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God told them not to eat from it, and the day they eat of it, they will surely die. And Satan says, nah, nah he's not telling the truth. Um, you won't die. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and what's good and evil. And then the woman says, or the woman in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, there's three things that the woman had going on. It says that she saw that the food was good. It was good. Mmm. I like good food, actually, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. Hmm. You turn over to First um, John, and we see, actually, First John 2. Verse, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going to quote it, but you can. First John 2, 15 and 16. You see very similar language. John the Apostle says that, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the, love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Okay, so we see three things laid out that is in the world. Sin. Same three things, really, that 
Eve was noticing in Genesis. The first one is lust of the flesh. That's the same thing that, oh, it's good for food. Man, this is, my flesh wants this. Most sins, a lot of sin is developed in the flesh. I want, fle- there's fleshly things that I want. And then you have the lust of the eyes. That's the same thing Eve said, delight of the eyes. Our eyes see things. You know, most men's issues are lust with women. You know, they're looking at something that they're not supposed to be looking at. And in this generation, the women are helping them because they're running around in bikinis when they shouldn't be. And I'm just saying, I might make some people mad, but you know, come on. The scripture says to dress modestly, and yet women, Christian women, think it's okay to run around and uh, basically wear your bra and panties out on the beach because you're at the beach. And I disagree with that personally. Now, I'm probably making some women mad, and I'm sorry if I am, but I'm not. Uh, I've already made certain people mad before in this area, so I'm used to it. But you're being a stumbling block to men who are trying to keep holy. It's hard going to the beach for a man and having to turn your head every second. So stop doing it. (laughs) Dress modestly. Anyway, thank you. Um, So you got the lust of the eyes. And then you have... The boastful pride of life. There's these three things. So anyway, um, sin, if you want to turn to uh, Genesis 4, second sin ever committed, this is about Cain, but there's something very important that God said about sin that I think it's very important that we understand because this is what God says. This is the first time God really addresses sin. I like the scriptures. I love that when the, usually when the first time is something mentioned, there is a very important thing right there that you need to stop and look at, although it's all important. But um, we see in, in Genesis 4 that Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel because Abel provided a a sacrifice that pleased God, and uh, he did not, and it made him jealous. Now, there's a lot to preach out of their sacrifices and what they brought, but that's not the purpose of this message today. I just want to look at uh, verse 6 after um, Cain has become very jealous with his brother. He's depressed because God had pleasure for one and not the other, and the Lord comes to Cain out of his love for him. And in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not, if you do, not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. One thing that God hasn't changed about is He wants us to master our flesh. He wants us to put our flesh under. He doesn't want the desires of the flesh to have their way in our life. I know this isn't a fun message, but it will be. Just stay with me a minute. I'm only going to talk to you today about stuff that's in here. So if the Bible gives attention to it, we need to give attention to it. All right, I'm never going to, hopefully, by the grace of God, I'm never going to be someone that um, is 
unwilling to preach something just because it makes anybody uncomfortable because that wouldn't be a, a good preacher. That'd be a bad preacher. Be the preacher that Paul warned the people about. Don't pay attention to teachers who, you know, want to tickle the ears. But sin is something is very serious to God, but it's also something that he says it's, it's crouching at the door. You know, Satan's like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. Sin's the same way. It's looking for opportunity. And all of us are susceptible to sin. So we need to always be on the lookout with, without being overly focused on it. I know. <laughs> so we see that God wants Cain to overcome this. He says, look, I don't, if sin's knocking at your door, it's trying to get, in, get into you, but you got to master this thing. You got to become, learn how to overcome, Right? In Matthew 5, I'm going to read, this will be, I'm going to read this from 21 to uh, 30. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering to, at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison." Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right hand, and this is the part I really want want us to look at, but there's a lot in what I'm reading. I can't get into all of it because of uh, we don't have time. But I do want to make the point that sin is not the outward action. See, the law came to convict our hearts of sin, but it became an outward thing where if, if we can somehow make it on the outward not break into these things, then somehow we're clean. And that's what the Pharisees' problems were. They thought that if somehow I cannot physically touch a woman, but I'm lusting for her in his heart, that I'm somehow free from this. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus came and said, look, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, he says, you, you, you tithe mint and dill and all this stuff, but you, you, you lay aside the weightier portions of the law. And he goes on to say, to point us out to the fact that it's the heart that matters. So when you look at a woman to lust after her, or a, man, or a man if you're a woman, or if you're a man and you're lusting after a man, or a woman versus a woman, any of that, it's all sin. And if you're doing it in your mind's eye and you're letting it go on in there, you're guilty of the actual act. He says the same thing for murder. Maybe you haven't physically killed somebody, but if you're in anger at any person with hatred in your heart towards that person, you're guilty of murder. Jesus took the law and he actually made it much higher than Moses did. But he also enabled us with the Holy Spirit, which will allow us to walk at a higher level than those under the law did but this next portion i want us to look at and it just makes the seriousness of sin 
29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Did y'all hear that? Sin's serious. It is very serious. And it's a slippery slope. And I'm not talking like somebody that hasn't struggled with sin. I've struggled with sin. I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'll stand up and tell you, I've looked at porn. I've done it. I, you're going to get the good, bad, and ugly from me. I don't hide stuff. I try not to. That's wrong. Come to the light. There's a lot of y'all in here struggling with porn. It's serious. It's serious. It's going to lead, it leads to worse stuff, but that in of itself is adultery. It's wrong. Those are God's children you're looking at. Many of them are these girls that have been sold into it. It's serious. Pornography is serious. Men, we have got to get free. And women too. I'm surprised how many women struggle with pornography. It's serious. It's lust. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your phone is giving you trouble, get rid of it. If your computer's giving you trouble, do something. I'm going to give us some tips to help us at the end, but we just have to realize it's better. Jesus ties that these sins, it's better to deal with the things that are causing us to stumble than to be thrown into hell. Sin is serious. It leads to hell. I've seen Christians that, as a pastor who were trapped in deep, deep, dark sin, and they thought they were okay because they believed in Jesus. I don't know what to do with these passages if that's the case. I don't think you can continually live in sin. You know, there's a difference, and I've said this a lot, but there's a difference between being in a boat and you're rowing upstream against the stream, and it's hard. And, and maybe you fall out of the boat a couple of times, you climb back in and you keep paddling trying to go upstream versus pulling the oars in, sitting back and just letting the stream push you where you want to go. See, when you're struggling with sin, God has mercy and grace for you. He wants to help you. When you stop struggling and you start giving in and you've just accepted, I'm just an old sinner, I'm going to look at porn, God forgives me, I can't help it, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble. You're close to hell. I'm serious. When you give into it and you think it's okay and I'm not even going to fight this, I'm not even going to get, try to get help and get free from this, that's when you're in some serious trouble. And Jesus says it's better that you would have your eye plucked out than you go to hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of the body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's serious. Are y'all with me? I'm saying this because sin is, is greater. I mean, sin has always been there. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Lust in this generation is I believe, in my opinion, is greater than it has ever been on the earth. I think there is some really dark, witch, wicked, wicked principalities that have been released from the pit of hell, and I believe it's stronger and harder to stay free. Interesting enough, in the book of Revelations, it talks about those who abstain from women, the sin with women. Why did it point that out specifically? It's because it's so increased today. You can't, put, you can't look up a news story without seeing 
a, a naked woman pretty much right there. Yeah, hey, I'm trying to find out what happened to Trump today or what happened to so-and-so or I'm trying to read about this, this bust or you're trying to read a news story. You're scrolling down and bam, right there something hits you. It's like, I ain't trying to see all that, but he's trying to get a hook in you. That one little glance and it's like, woo, and then you stop. And that pause, what do you do in the pause? Well, the thing to do is to keep scrolling. And if need be, turn it off. But, if you, but that pause, that one moment of hook, because if he can hook you one time, he pulls you into something that gets a grip on you, and now all of a sudden you're, you're, you've been trapped in a cage. Galatians 5, 14, For the whole law was fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry on the desire of the flesh. Y'all hear that? Walk by the Spirit. For the flesh, all of us got flesh, got sin in the flesh, all of us. Read Romans 7. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in oppositions to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. There's a war going on inside all of us. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, murdering, drunkenness, carousing, the things like these of which I forewarned you just as I forewarned of which I forewarned you, and just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody say, will not. If you're practicing these things, you will not inherit God's kingdom. So it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, the law is fulfilled when we love God and love our neighbor. But when we give into the flesh, we are under the law. But when we're not giving into the flesh, but we're walking by the Spirit, the law has no control over us. We're, we're above the law when we're in the Spirit. And we're in the Spirit. All right. Hebrews 10:19. I almost feel sorry if you're a guest because if this is the only message you hear me preach, man. <laughs> this is not what how I normally preach, but but it is the truth. I do preach about prayer and other things. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, this is Hebrews ten nineteen. Uh, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, not by my goodness, not by my righteous, not even my ability to be free from sin. I enter by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking uh, the assembling together as the habit of song, but encourage one another all the more as you are seeing the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. If anyone sets aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Think about that. How do you insult the Spirit of grace? According to the Scriptures, it's when you lay aside the fact that Jesus died to set you free from sin and you give yourself fully to sin as if you haven't been set free from it. When you do that, the Scripture says that you're insulting the Spirit of grace. The grace of God, once again, is not just that He forgives our sins. He does. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is merciful. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He sent His Son to die for our sins, but He has also given us the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to wash us so that we would be pure because there is a bride that's going to be without spot or wrinkled. And she's going to be given uh, white linen garments that are the righteous acts of the saints, the righteousness of the saints according to Revelation. The Lord is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkled. I preached on this a couple weeks ago about John, the ministry of John the Baptist and uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You can see that on our podcast. You can see us on Rumbles. You can see it on YouTube when we don't get kicked off. We do get kicked off from time to time. So um, go check that message out if you get a chance, really, if you haven't heard it, because this really fits well with what I was saying there, especially as I get to the answer. All right? All right. Now, we're going to end up in Hebrews 12, and that'll be where I'm finishing, but I just want to bring attention to, to the church of Revelation, the seven churches. But you can hold your place in Revelation 12. How many are familiar with the seven churches in the book of Revelation? Right? In the book of Revelation, John has an angel come to him and he gives him a message and he says to he says to the seven churches and you have seven churches in the book of Revelation and they have you know you can go through in Pergamum Smyrna uh, uh, Thyatira um, Laodicea is the last one Ephesus I don't remember them all um, but anyhow seven churches. Every single church, Jesus had a very specific individual message for each church. The message was different for each church based on where they were at in their spiritual condition and what was going on in their life. The one thing that, there's two things that he said to every church. 
One was, he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The other thing, it was, to him who overcomes, I will grant, and then he lists a promise for those who overcome. This life is to, this life is a testing ground. And God is looking for overcomers. I want to be one. Okay? God's looking. The Lord's looking for people who overcome. Most of the churches were told to repent. They, they, which repent, you know, stop doing something you're doing and start doing what you should be doing. Okay? All right. Now I'm going to read the chapter, the whole chapter of Hebrews 12. I want to bring out a few points, and then I want to highlight the answer. This is where it's going to start feeling a little better, all right? (laughs) It's going to feel a little better here in a minute. All right, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges, scourges, you know, that's the whip that Jesus received, you know, where the flesh was ripped from his body. He scourges every son whom he receives. Just a little FYI, if you're a son that Jesus receives, you're going to go through things that are going to hurt. If you're trying to live a pain-free life, you signed up for the wrong thing. Just FYI. Pick up your cross and follow me, right? Any man want to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. The process is not fun, but it's necessary. I'm very thankful for every difficult thing I have went through when I get to the other side of it. I hate it while I'm going through it. I'm often screaming and crying and, and complaining. But I've learned by the grace of God, stay in the fire, let it cook you good, because if you jump out, you get in a worse fire because you're going to get cooked. (laughs) God wants to cook us, and we can either run around in the desert multiple times having to go through the same fire and over and over again and repeat the same process and drawing out that which was painful to be even that much more painful. It's worse to resist. Just let the Lord do his work in you. Stop fighting the difficulties you're going through and start embracing it and saying, Lord, what are you doing in this? How are you trying to form Christ? What do I need to grow in this difficulty? Help me, Lord, and just relax. Because the better you're relaxed in the pain, the the quicker and faster the work's going to get done, and then you can get out. Relax in the pain. And then you get out. And he gives you a breather, and then you get to take a new test. <laughs> it's fun, ain't it? 
All right. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers when you are, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall, not, shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Man, I want to share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. This verse right there is the reason I'm preaching this today. I'm asking the Lord what he wants to share. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I see weak knees and a brace go on and I instantly went to this verse in my mind's eye. And, you know, I just, I, 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 this verse came up in my heart. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He wants to help our walk where we're walking righteously before him. Now check this out. Verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Y'all hear that? Y'all know what sanctification is? Being set apart. It's a life of holiness. Not in the way that the religious, religious spirit would say. It's not about not wearing makeup or not wearing you know, pants if you're a lady. It's not stupid stuff like that. It's religion is is something horrible. But there's a holiness from being in right alignment with God and loving what he loves and hating what he hates. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. You know, some of our bitternesses and unforgivenesses are causing just as much damage as the guy that's, you know, addicted to cocaine or addicted to porn. Some of us are addicted, addicted to refusing to let go of what someone did to us. And that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched into a blazing fire and into darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not... Be bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain it will be stoned he's talking about when the children of israel came to mount sinai and the law was given and so terrible was the sight that moses said i am full of fear and trembling but you have come to mount zion to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and the myriads of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to god the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkling of blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that no one refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will be escaped who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of the things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Lord, consume our junk. All right. I just want to make a few points, and then I'll be, I'm wrapping up here. Um, you know, it starts off, it says that we're to lay aside every encumbrance. That's something that, like, tangles us up. And then it says it again, and the sin which so easily entangles us. You know the thing about sin is it's easy. It easily gets into our lives. It's like weeds. If you ever had a garden, you go out one day, you pull all the weeds, you come back tomorrow, and there they are again. You know, you have to constantly pull weeds. And I found that about my own heart. You know, when I, I there's, I'm constantly having to deal with jealousies and, or th- you know, it could be anything. It can even be desire for good things that are not in the timing of God. Um, But here's the answer, and I'm going to dig into this deeper in a minute, but verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The way we get through and get free is to get our eyes on Him. This is the good news. When we see Him, that's how we get free. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute in depth, but I just want to give us a few tips for overcoming sin. Things that I've learned from the Scriptures and things that I've used to help when you're tempted because you're going to get tempted. You're going to get tempted with hard things. You know, you see the pastor that got caught up in adultery or something. You, like, I could name a bunch of names of people you know across the country, famous preachers that got caught up. The only reason I'm saying the preacher is only because they, they're the ones that make the news. If the, congregant, you know, if the congregant's caught in adultery, nobody knows about it. it doesn't, you know, you don't, it's not national news, but if a famous preacher falls into temptation and falls, it makes huge news. We're all capable of falling at any time. Behold when you think you stand, lest you fall. That's the first thing you need to understand in being free from sin. If you think you're not capable, you're in trouble. Because God gives His grace to the humble, and humility is to acknowledge the truth that without God's help, I could do anything. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 7. Study that chapter if you don't know what I mean. There's nothing good that dwells in me. Sin in my flesh is the same sin that's in the, the, the pedophile that's trafficking children. That sin in them is the same sin that's in you. If you don't think so, you're deceived. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is for us to fall into something so that we see how wicked we are. 
because we run around thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I've lived good my whole life. I go to church. I'm a good person. By the grace of God, you are in that place. Some of these people have grown up with wicked, evil parents or maybe no parents at all. They've been abused. They get, they, the flesh gets a hold of them and they start at 12, 13, 14 years old and they start getting addicted to things. And they've had nothing but wickedness in their face their whole life. And honestly, in God's eyes, a lot of these people were more righteous than people that sit here in church. Because it's not the darkness that you're in that God's looking at. It's the light that you reject or the light that you're not walking in. God does not judge us for the darkness we're in. He judges us for the darkness, for the light that we reject. Do you understand that? That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he says that men don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed because they love, you know, they love the darkness rather than the light. When the light comes in, darkness gets exposed. But the question is when the light shines on you, what do you do with it? If you reject it, that's why Jesus told the cities and when he showed up, he said it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you because they repented or he talks about Nineveh, how they repented at Jonah. But the Nineveh has something greater. Sodom and Gomorrah will judge them because they had Lot, righteous Lot. Nineveh had Jonah. But these people had the Son of God, and they still rejected it. Even though these were the people that were willing to stone somebody who was committed in adultery, they had a higher standard of the law, but they rejected a greater light. So there is that principle in Scripture. So we need to understand that. So, behold, when you think you stand, lest you fall. That's your first thing. God gives his grace to the humble. The humility that I walk in is this. Lord, I need you. If you don't help me, I'm going to fall. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, but without him, I can do nothing. Jesus said to himself, of my own self, I can do nothing. We need the Lord. When I get in trouble... And I start seeing something struggling in me for sin. You know what I do? I run to him. I run. Lord, help. 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 I've spent some cry sessions. Help, Lord. Help me. I've had days where I felt like the darkness surrounding me was so dark. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But I ran to Papa. And he helps me. The first thing you do, you run to him. Uh, Scripture tells us that, let's see here. It it talks about in the the Lord's Prayer, lead us not. You know know the Lord's Prayer. You know, that's the prayer that we're all supposed to to have learned, you know. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, give us this day our daily bread. What does it say? Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help, Lord. What did Jesus tell Peter? Right before he's, you know, he's about to be crucified. He's in the garden praying. And Peter's asleep. And Jesus comes to him. Actually, there was three of them asleep. I think it was Peter, James, and John. But Jesus comes to him. And he says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. One of the most important things you can do is to keep your prayer life alive. 
When you're, prayer, when you're praying and you're in communion with the Father, you are having the strength of the Holy Spirit. You're connecting with the one that has the ability to deliver you from evil. We're not overcoming sin because of our goodness or our strength. We overcome it because the one that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. I need to abide in him. I need his help. I don't overcome darkness because I'm something in of myself. I need the one that has all power. And so prayer connects me with the one who can defeat this thing. If you try to do it in your own strength, you're going to fall every time. You will not overcome sin if you try to do it in your own strength. When I notice that my love and passion for Jesus is not on fire... I've noticed that I'm more susceptible to fulfill my soul with things that aren't good. It's like, I've said this before, it's like going in Sam's Club, not, not being full. Like, I had, you know, you go in there hungry, starving, you ain't not eaten all day. You go to Sam's, next thing you know, your buggy's full of M&Ms and cookie dough, and at Christmas time, lots of eggnog, and we're like, we're ready to go, and like, I'm having a sugar fix right there in the car. I, mean, I can't even wait to get home because, actually, I don't even leave the store. I open up them M&Ms right there and start digging in because I hadn't eaten all day. When you're not full of the love of the Father, you're going to be more susceptible to other things that are not good for you. So the, one of the first ways to stay free from sin is stay, pa- are you passionate? Are you hungry for him? If you're not, run to him again. Lord, I want to be hungry for you. Give me love for you and hunger for you. All my adult life, when I start to feel that thing cool off, it scares me. And I say, Lord, I don't like what I'm feeling. I'm feeling an apathy. God, save me from this apathy. Set my soul ablaze for you that I would not live a day without hunger for you. Learn how to begin to take, uh, what's the word? Take, um, you know, when you start counting things and seeing what's there. What is it? Inventory. Inventory. Take inventory of what's going on inside of you. If you're not passionate, Passionate people don't fall into sin like unpassionate people do, typically. They don't. I fall into trouble when I'm, my love is cooled. 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we're full of the Father's love, it's, it's, we're not going to be doing this stuff. That's why it says in Ephesians 3.19 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses mere knowledge, that we might be filled up to the very fullness of Christ or fullness of God. The way to be full of God is to be full of his love for me and for me to be full of love for him. I want to love him and I want to know his love. If I abide in those places, boy, the devil's in trouble. Stay close to him. Prayer is the key. Reading the Word. I I preached on that last week. Read your Bible. It will help you. Most people fall in temptation. Jesus, when he was tempted, what did he do? He said, it is written. The Word pulled him out of it. Can't tell you how many times the Word has rescued me. Now here's, here's one. Um, here's a couple more. Here's one that I think is, is key. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't cleanse ourselves, but when we acknowledge our weakness, God cleanses us. It's the process of coming clean, coming to the light that expels the darkness. The scripture says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's not just physical healing, though that's certainly true. There is an aspect that we're healed internally when we, when we confess our sin to one another. Every person in here needs somebody they can be real with that's not going to judge them for their failures and their weakness that they can come to and say, look, I am struggling with this. I have people in my life that have heard some good, some bad, and some ugly. I got some ugly that I deal with because I'm no different than you. I struggle. In my struggles, I run to people and I say, look, I have some really bad thoughts going through my head. Would you pray for me? I'm not hiding that stuff because we think if we hide it, somehow it'll go away. But I have found that the only solution for darkness is light. And the light is when we go to somebody and say, look, I need help. I'm struggling with some really dark things. And then all of a sudden it's broken. Light dispels darkness. You're not going to have a successful Christian walk if you don't have a brother or sister that you can go to and be real with and say, look, I need prayer in this area, this area, this area, because I'm really struggling right now. Find those people. It doesn't have to be your pastor. It can be a, just somebody that's, that's a solid believer that loves God that you trust. It's not going to throw you under the bus. Oh, you, did you guess what so-and-so told me they're struggling with? You don't want that kind of person. This is, needs to be people you can trust. That they, they, that, and, and you know the people that you can trust? The people that know they're just as much of a wretch that you are. I can't judge nobody because I know what's in my heart. At times, I mean, God's cleaning me up. I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm running around with all this darkness, but it does hit you. He's cleaning me up. I know outside of him, I'm capable of anything. I ain't throwing st stones at Susan Smith who wrote, drove her, well, I there's kids in here, but I'm not throwing stones at people who fall into major, major craziness because if it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. And it's come, and having that type of help is what helps us. We need brothers and sisters that we can go to. Here's just some two, two things that are just like very practical, very practical in overcoming sin. Be careful when you're tired. If you are physically exhausted, you need to be careful. I have found that that's when the worst, that's when the enemy comes in hardcore. Because the flesh is weak. Jesus said the flesh is, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. When our flesh gets sometimes overly tired, we're just prone to give in to it. I can tell you as far as like diet goes, man, I'm a, I'm a mess when I'm tired. Forget about it. I ain't got temptation to avoid that ice cream and brownie. Forget it. It's going in the hole. <laughs> But how much more other things? You know what I mean? When the flesh gets tired, we're more prone to things. Be, when you're tired, get, and if you're a man that's struggling with porn, stay away from your phone and computer when you're exhausted. You just do it. Do not do it. Turn your phone off. Give it to your wife. 
go hide it somewhere, do whatever you, set up any firewalls you need. Firewalls are important. Set up firewalls. You know what firewalls are? They're things, they're, they're walls that you put up to protect you from things that come at you. You know, there was a time in my life that I couldn't leave my phone on at night. I had to turn it off because I would get woken up by a demon in the middle of the night, tempted me to go look at stuff. And so I would simply tell my wife about it, bring it to the light, have her pray with me, turn that phone off, cram it in a hole to where there's a lot more work involved to actually give into this thing. Simple little steps like that help. Okay? Another thing that's real easy, if you've just had a very, if you're a minister, and all of us are supposed to be, if you've just had a powerful time of ministry, man, watch out. I have found that, like, especially when I go to the streets and we do the music downtown, I have learned you better be prepared for the warfare that's going to hit you at night. Because I would come home from these events and get woken up at night by lust, like, I have, ne- like, where is this coming from? It's like, I didn't go to bed feeling like this. What is going on? It just happens. I don't know why. Peter, every time Peter fell, well, I shouldn't say every time. When we see Peter falling in the, in the Gospels, it, you know, who do men say that I am? You're the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Ah, oh, look at me. I had the revelation. I just said something awesome. And then, and then he says, Lord, we're never going to deny you. He says, get behind me, Satan. Within a few verses, he goes from having revelation from God to get, being called Satan by Jesus. There's something about the pride that can hit us when we're, we're pumped up about how God just used us. Okay, I am almost done. I realize this is long. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I did buy, we did buy those comfortable chairs for that reason, because you never know. You come up in here, you might be here a while, but I'm doing you a favor, because I can, the other churches are letting out a lot earlier, and they're all, the, all the restaurants are full, so you're going to have to, you know, you're not going to have any problem by the time you get to the restaurant, they'll be ready for you. Uh, so you can thank me as you go out. Uh, so here, here's the last thing I want to say. The ultimate thing that changes any of us, sets us free, is this one thing, seeing Jesus. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we're changed by beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. How are we changed? By beholding His glory. Moses was changed when he went into the very presence of God. To the point that he came out with a veil because the glory was so great they had to cover his face. Uh, 1 John, in 1 John 3, I love these verses, 1 through 6. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that 
He appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins have been have have seen him or knows him. There is a physical appearing that Jesus is going to do when he returns, okay? And when we see him physically when he returns, our bodies are going to be transformed. If we're alive, our bodies are going to be instantly transformed into a, a glorified body because we're going to see him. But I don't think this is really the crux, though there is application in that. I, don't, I think there's a deeper meaning here. The Lord wants to appear to us in our journey with him every day. He wants to remove the veil that we can see Jesus better every day. When we're spending time in the word and we're praying, revelation will come, we'll see an aspect of Jesus. And when we see him, according to these scriptures, we're going to be, when he appears, we shall be like him. When there is appearing in our heart, a revelation of who he is, when our eyes, the eyes of our heart are beginning to see him as he is, we're going to become what we behold. When we see his glory, we're going to be transformed by his glory. And so in our desire to be free from the things that entangle us, the answer is say, Lord, I want to see you. To get alone in your quiet time and say, Jesus, I want to see you better. I want to behold you as you are. Lord, open up the eyes of my heart every way that I'm not seeing you right. Correct that, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see the holy Jesus. I want to see the righteous Jesus. I want to see the Jesus of peace. I want to see the Jesus, the healer. I want to see Jesus of revelation that gives revelation. I want to see the Jesus that walks on water. I want to see the Jesus that reaches out and touches the poor and the lost and the hopeless. As I see you, just like Jesus said, as I see the Father. I only do those things that I see the Father doing. Jesus was living off his, re- his vision of the Father. The scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. I need a vision of the Lord. I want to see him because when I see him, I'm going to love him. When I see him, I'm going to be hungry. When I see him, I'm not going to be susceptible to these things over here, the the M&Ms, which are the adulteries and the fornications and the bad thoughts and the anger and the unforgiveness because I'm filling myself with that vision of him in my heart. And when I see him, I'm actually being changed by the spirit of God and that flesh is dying inside of me and it's being put down and Christ is being formed in me as I'm looking at the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and I'm beholding his beauty. David said, I do this one thing. Give me this one thing, Lord. Let me dwell in your temple and meditate on your beauty. Let me behold the beauty of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you that every single issue we have in life, the answer to it, whether it be sin, be doubt, no matter what struggle we're going through in life, the answer is getting into the face of Papa. Papa, show me your son. Open the eyes of my heart. Start asking. That's why Paul prayed for the church. He said that, that that you would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. Paul knew that if the people's revelation of him would grow, they would be okay. They were going to make it because seeing you, I become like you. 
It's not in seeing me. It's not in seeing my sin. It's not being Adam and Eve and returning to my belly where I'm looking at my own nakedness and looking. When you're struggling with sin, the answer is not to keep focusing on your sin. The answer is to run to him and start looking at him. When the children of Israel were bit by serpents, the the Lord gave them the answer. He held up the serpent and said, everyone that looks upon the bronze serpent will be healed. And Jesus, in the same way, said, just as the bronze serpent is lifted up, we are healed when we behold him. And so the Lord wants us to be free from sin. He wants us to be free from all these things that hinder us from being like him. But the answer is not in striving in our own ability to get free. The answer is striving to get in his presence, to resist those calls to go watch TV when we could be praying. Now, there's nothing wrong with TV. I love TV. I watch TV. But I'm not substituting my God time for other stupid things. I have got to have time dwelling in his presence, beholding his beauty, because without that, I can't make it. I need to see him if I'm going to be like him. And so my encouragement to us today is let's get more serious in in our pursuit of beholding him with the eyes of the spirit, with the eyes of the heart, that we would see him in his beauty with every veil pulled off everything that's hindering our looking at him so that we can be like him amen lord help lord jesus help lord help help us to see you the way you are where we don't want to struggle with sin i don't want to sin my flesh does Lord, help. Help us see you. Help us behold your beauty. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for a grace to fall on all of us right now that we would leave here with a, with a, a fire in us to pursue you. Pursue seeking you. Pursue looking at you every day. You are our manna from heaven that we have to go out and get a hold of every day, that we wouldn't let a day go by that we're not staring at you by reading your word, by praying, by fellowshipping with you, by connecting with your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us go out of here in hot pursuit of of you, and Lord, you always give us you when we seek you. Draw near to God and I will draw near to you. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I feel the Lord on that. The Lord is saying, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I want to be with you more than you can imagine. Come to me, value me and I will show myself with you. It is my glory to hide my glory but it's your, it's your glory to seek my glory out. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. I'm not hiding my glory from you. I'm hiding it for you when you're wanting it with all your heart. When you're willing to get up and pursue me, I will be found by you. Pursue me and you will find me. Seek and you will find 
Knock, the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. The Lord is opening the door for us. He stands at the door and knock. Are we going to get up and open the door for him? Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We invite you, Lord. Have your way in our lives. We love you and we praise you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. We want to see you, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see your beauty. Lord, we want to behold you. Lord, deal with our selfish ambition and turn it into a love pursuit of you and you alone, that you receive all glory and honor. Oh, Lord, have your way. Have your way, Lord Jesus. If you feel the Lord dealing with you or loving on you or talking to you, just let him do it. If you need to go, you're welcome.